0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Friday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, Southern Reporter, on a bye week. Yeah, everybody's on a bye today, except, well, we got radio 24-7, 365. We don't stop uh, at all. So we've got a, I think, a really good bye week Friday special show. We're going to hear from Travis Johnson. Trap J is going to join us in the next segment. He sat down with Mark, and that was a really fun one. Camu hill we're going to hear from him as he talked with DP and Mark. We've got my ultimate 11 plays of the game against Jacksonville. So going into the weekend, why not look back at the first win of the season through the best plays of the game? And we've got those for you, so I'll have that for you in the next hour. Also in the next hour, a couple of deep slant interviews, one with O.J. Howard and one with Scott Two guys that have stepped into roles that I would imagine we didn't think Scott Quisenberry would be starting center. Thought there'd be Justin Britt, but Scotty stepped in and done. I, I, I shouldn't say just fine because it sounds like just fine. Um, but he's been, I think, the right fit for sure in that offensive line at center. And O.J. Howard, I mean, who knew that guy was going to be part of the season back in training camp, but he joins the team right after uh, the uh, preseason was over. Caught two touchdowns in that first game and has been instrumental ever since. And hopefully that tight end position can get healthy with Brevin Jordan coming back. Jordan Aitken's on the 53-man roster. And I'll tell you this, O.J. Howard, Brevin Jordan, Jordan Atkins, those three guys. And then when Tegan comes back, that's going to be as good a tight end mix as we've had here in a while. So really looking forward to that. So we'll hear from O.J. Howard and Scott Quisenberry a little later in the show. But we're going to do something a little different. Now, different and same. Same is different. Different is same. I normally do my predictions for every single game in the NFL. I usually do it later in the show on Friday. It's Friday. I thought I was going to do it later in the show, and I thought, you know what? Let's move it to the front of the show because we got so much else going on. Let's get these predictions out there for you to hear them. And it's my way of going around the NFL. I like going around the NFL, like knowing what's going on in all different cities, all different teams, organizations. You got this happening here. You got another thing happening in Cleveland. You got all kinds of stuff going on with uh, the LA Rams. Uh, You got stuff going on with the Chargers. So it's always fun to kind of break it all down in some sense through making a prediction on the game. So that's what I do for fun. F-U-N for fun. I pick games straight up and against the spread. I do it every single week. And I figured, you know what? Why not start right here? with some predictions to kind of get you going into the weekend. Because I know a lot of you maybe took today off. Maybe you're off for high school games, got off a little early. Maybe you're not going to be around to hear the predictions in the second hour. So I thought, why not? Let's just go right ahead with no Texans game this weekend. Clear conscience, clear minds, clear hearts with it. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Well, that's what we're going to do with our predictions. Now, if you've been around for my predictions, you know I need some music. And there it is. Let's rock. Here we go. Let's start in Atlanta with a noon game where the 49ers are taking on the Falcons. Now, these two teams, really no connection to the Texans, but the 49ers are favored by five in Atlanta, where Atlanta has played pretty well. But I never trust West Coast road favorites playing at 1 o'clock Eastern time. I hate it. I hate picking those teams. However, I think the 49ers are just That much better than the Falcons. But I'm going to give the Falcons some credit. I think the 49ers are going to win this game, but I think the Falcons are going to get inside that five. So give the 49ers the win to get the four and two. But the Falcons, the cover, keeping it very, very close. All right, this one matters to Houston Texans fans. Even though it's not the Texans, it's the Patriots. No, we don't care about the Patriots. But we do care about the Browns. Taking place in Cleveland, where Cleveland's a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, Bailey Zappi, Mac Jones, that quarterback situation. Bailey Zappi was really, really good. I can imagine Bill Belichick will try and buy a little bit more time for Mac Jones by going with Bailey Zappi against the Cleveland Browns, Belichick's former team. People are like, wait a second, former team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Belichick once was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Believe that. The Browns have been all over the map. They won a couple games they probably shouldn't have. They lost a couple games they probably shouldn't have. So they're probably right where they need to be, two and three. I just can't get there this weekend with the Patriots because the Browns are up and down, up and down, up and down. Now they're going to back up. I think the Browns, even though they'll miss two key defensive players, including De'Veon Clowney, I do think that the Browns are going to come out of here with a very narrow victory, no more than seven but more than two and a half, and that's the number. So, we'll go Cleveland with the win and cover over the New Patriots in Cleveland. The Jets are taking on the Packers. The Jets are one of the better stories in the NFL. And I'm not going to say I told you so, but John McClain and and Mark Vanderbilt know that I was hyping up the Jets. Well, the Lions, too. The Lions just haven't won any games. They played well. They just haven't won any games. That's a, well, that's a story for down the road in a second. The Jets are taking on the Packers. Packers are seven and a half point favorites in Green Bay. Now, team's coming back from London. I remember in 2019 in particular, the Texans got housed even after a bye week. The Packers are coming straight off that week from London and going right back to Lambeau to play. That is difficult on a body. I do think the Packers will bounce back, and I think they'll win this game, but I don't think they're covering the 7.5. Let's get the Jets a cover, and the Packers an outright win, but the Jets get that inside that 7.5. So, Packers get the 4-2, and two, Jets fall to 3-3. Three and three. But kudos to the Jets for what they're building up there in New Jersey. Rob Sala and Joe Douglas do a great job. All right, AFC South, here we go. Jaguars, Colts. In Indianapolis, it's always important to know where this one's being played because down in Duval County, the Jags own the Colts. But in Indianapolis, it's a different story. Colts are favored by just two. And I don't trust the Colts. But what I saw last week between the Jaguars and the Colts, I saw some great stuff from the Jags. They couldn't score. We kept them out of the end zone. I don't think they're going to score against the Colts. I think Colts end up winning this. Two points, not quite a pick but pretty close. Let's go Colts to win this thing. Get to 3-2-1 while the Jags fall to 2-4. and four. All right, let's go Vikings-Dolphins. This one has to be confused. Very, very confused. It's a game down in Miami, so that's going to be tough for the Vikings playing in that hot weather. But the Dolphins are playing Skylar Thompson. Now, Skyler Thompson I really like coming out of Kansas State, but not as a starting quarterback as a rookie. Not at all. In fact, he's... The third rookie to start, is that right? Yeah, Bailey Zappi started for the Patriots. I feel like I've missed one. And then Skylar Thompson. So, okay, can you pick it? So, yeah, he's the third one to start. I would have not put money on Skyler Thompson being the third quarterback to start in Miami, but that's where we are. Minnesota's favored by three as a result. I think Minnesota wins this thing. But it's going to be closer. It's going to be 24-20. It's going to be 27-24. It's going to be very close. So, I don't like that number, but if I have to, I'm going to go Vikings to win and to barely, barely cover against Skyler Thompson and the Dolphins. Bengals take on the Saints. This one I was perplexed about as well. The Saints are two-and-a-half-point underdogs playing in New Orleans. the Saints are all over the place. I don't even know what to make of the New Orleans Saints at all. I'm not sure I know what to make of the Bengals. Looked good a few weeks, and then, bang, run into a Baltimore buzzsaw. Had a lead late in the game. Gave up a game-winning field goal. They're just they're all over the place. But if I have to... I'm going to go with Cincinnati because I believe in Joe Burrow uh, over what the Saints have got. So I'm going Burrow in Cincinnati to get the win. Two and a half is not quite a pick but close enough for me. So I'm going to go Cincinnati with the win to cover on the road down in New Orleans. This game is turning out to be, well, it's the Wink Martindale Bowl. Wink Martindale is the defense coordinator for the New York Giants. He has that group playing with its hair on fire. I mean, fire. I got no false setter today. Sorry, guys. I mean, I just got all base. My bad. Anyhow, Wink Martindale defense coordinator for the Ravens for a long time. John Harbaugh wanted to move on. Wanted to bring back his guy, Mike McDonald, who's done well. Not as well as Wink Martindale has. Martindale has opened up that blitz can of you-know-what. Now, Wink never had to go against Lamar Jackson other than in practice. We'll see what he has learned as the Ravens go to New Jersey to take on the Giants. Baltimore's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Man, that's rich. That is a little rich. But again, I go back to coming back from London and having to play the very next week. I don't love that. The Vikings did that last week. They came back from London after a win over the Saints, and the Bears kept that thing way closer than it should have been. I worry about that with the Giants a little bit, getting that win against the Packers over in London. Therefore, I'm giving the Ravens a win and a cover. Now, it's not going to be a blowout, it's not going to be 42 21. But I do think the Ravens are going to end up winning this thing 27-20, uh, something like that, winning that thing by 7, which is enough to get a cover. So let's give the Ravens a win and a cover on the road against the 4-1 G-Men. All right, let's go to Pittsburgh, where Pittsburgh has been lousy as such. Tampa Bay at 3-2 and two is a 9-point favorite. I cannot see the Steelers playing with, I don't want to say effort, but just the... Um, the emotion that's needed, the, the the support and the the well, they're just not as good as the Buccaneers. Let's put it that way. And they're starting a rookie, and they got house last week against Buffalo, and I don't think even playing at home they're going to bounce back. I think Tom Brady and the Bucks don't blow them out, but this is not going to be the prettiest Steelers game. This feels like 26-14, you know, something like that, 31-18, something like that. But that's more than not to so give the Bucks a win and a cover on the road. Against the Steelers. The Panthers, Jettison, their head coach, Matt Rule. They'll go with interim coach Steve Wilkes. They are one and four. And now they gotta travel all the way across country to Los Angeles to take on a Rams team. That is exactly what I worried about for the Rams. That's a two-and-three football team. It's not a very good football team. They lost to the Cowboys at home. They lost to the Bills, got smashed by the Bills. That's just not a good football team out in L.A. right now, but it's a football team that's better than the Panthers. And so I think the Rams are going to win that thing by more than what they're favored by, and that's 10 points. They'll win this by two touchdowns or more. The... the oh, boy. P.J. is going to get the start there for the Panthers, but it's not going to matter. He may make some plays. The Rams are going to win that thing 34-24. Eh, that's right at 10. So let's give the Rams a win and a cover to make it easy. The Cardinals go to the Seahawks. It's winning the afternoon games. And I i just went back and forth on this. It's kind of a Jekyll and hype thing. The Arizona Cardinals stink. But they've won eight in a row on the road. The Seahawks can put up points on anybody. You know, but they can't stop anybody. Kyler Murray's not been playing great. But he's facing a pretty weak Seahawks defense. Hey, I didn't know what to do. So at that point, Arizona's favored by two and a half. So that means, do I trust Kyler Murray? Do I trust Geno Smith? Now, Geno Smith has been playing his guts out, which makes me think I should probably go with the Seahawks. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals because the Cardinals are the road warriors. And similar to a couple other teams, the ups are great, the downs are horrible, but a down is always followed by an up, and I feel like the up is coming. So let's go Cardinals to win and cover on the road in Seattle. Then the marquee afternoon game, everybody will be talking about the 4-1 Buffalo Bills. Taking on the four and one Kansas City Chiefs. So the Chiefs coming off a—I don't want to say a controversial win, but a come from behind win against the Las Vegas Raiders on Monday night. So shorter week, the Bills house the Steelers, but this game takes place in Arrowhead again. That has not stopped the Bills from going there in regular season and winning that game and winning it soundly, i.e., last year. I think last year happens again. Bills are favored by two and a half on the road. I know Kansas City is going to be fired up because of that. Doesn't matter. Bills are that much better. Bills get a mild bit of revenge for the playoff loss. Let's go Bills 38, Chiefs 30. That covers the two and a half. Bills get the win. Then Sunday night, Cowboys taking on the Eagles. Four and one versus five and oh, this is a great Sunday matchup. Philadelphia's favored by six and a half. Now, it's not seven. I like the six and a half because I do feel the Eagles are going to win this thing. Cooper Rush is going to be forced to make some plays. I don't know that he'll make that many against a solid Philly defense. A solid. And when I say solid, I mean solid defense. That's a good unit over there. Cooper Rush will struggle. Eagles get the win. Let's go 34-24 on Sunday night. A good ball game for the Eagles. They stay undefeated at 6-0 beating the Cowboys. Then the Russell Wilson-led Broncos at 2-3 are going to the Chargers. On Monday night, Justin Herbert and the Chargers are four-and-a-half-point favorites. I think they house the Broncos. I think the Broncos might show up just a little bit, but it ain't going to be enough. The Chargers are going to open a can of you-know-what on Russ, especially if he is hurt. Look out, Khalil Mack rackets some sacks. No Garrett Bowles over on the left side. I think the Chargers win this and win it soundly on Monday night football. All right, those are your predictions. Straight up and against the spread for this weekend's game for fun. Like I said, we had a chance to talk a lot about both NFL teams as we predicted those games. That is always fun. Also fun is catching up with Trap J. Travis Johnson, former first-round pick of the Texans. Sat down with Mark Vandermeer. This is always fun when Trap J joins the show. He's next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host. And a guy that I've gotten to know over the years of being with the Texans, being here in Houston, is Travis Johnson. He is everything you want. I mean, I love talking to Trap J. I mean, he te- he's he got stories for days. He's funny. Uh, he's intuitive. Uh, his insight is tremendous. And he sat down with Mark Vandermeer, and the two just talked. And it's always good. Here it is. Trap J with Mark Vandermeer.
1: Quarterbacks are to be handled with care, as we all know. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. I'm pandering right here. But you know, the big controversy right now, Tom Brady gets hit a little too hard, big flag, big problem. Uh you had on Monday night football the situation where Derek Carr gets crushed by Chris Jones, but that's gonna happen. And they say he put his full body weight on him. Not supposed to do that. But he got the ball out and he fell on him. It's just a lot of calls like this, and everybody are they overreacting, Travis? What is your thought on this whole situation?
2: Is who over the referees are overreacting because yeah. at the same time, like, there's no way we watched that Chris Jones play. Chris Jones literally stripped the ball. He has possession of the ball, yeah, and it's almost like they both fell down. Like David Derek, or excuse me, not David Derek makes yeah. the tackle, and Chris basically fell on him. Like right. so, what is it now? I can't so. What do you I need to put a pillow down? Right. And rest him now. I need to I need to I need to cradle him, tuck him in. Like how else
1: do you want me to Is deal it, with it? What would you do though? I'm making you commissioner. What do you think should happen? You have you have to make sure
2: that the referees on the field have access to all the footage. Okay. Because I can understand it should if, be reviewable. It should saying. be reviewable. Okay. I think I, I understand if you threw the flag because you didn't see what happened on, on the back end, because right. if because of his angles. But at the same time, you can't – it's a turnover. So it should have been able to be reviewed in the first place Mm -hmm. and say, you know what, we made a mistake. It's not roughing the passer. It was a fumble, a recovery fumble, and he fell on it. The ensuing uh, part of the the possession, he fell on him. That's it. Turn the ball
1: over. Case closed. Huge play right there. Uh, Are you with me? I think a lot of things should be reviewable. You should have to throw the flag. Of course. Because – How many flags stay in pockets at the end of the game? How many times are challenges not used? Not that we want the game to be a challenge fest because college football drives me nuts sometimes. And don't get me started with college or pro basketball with the reviews. But if you throw the red flag for things like that, if you make certain things reviewable, why not? Where are we going anyway? I know you want to shorten the game. It's not that long. Take a minute, though. Don't take all day. Don't have a jury and go to court about it, make a decision within 60 seconds, yes or no, move on. What do you think?
2: I, I I agree. I think everything should be reviewable. Uh you know, I I agree with the same way college football right now can go review uh targeting, which I think that is taken away from the game yeah, on the college level. That certainly is. You know, I think it's the same thing with all of these these penalties. They 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 have taken it to the extreme after Tua got hurt, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can't let this happen anymore. Well, Tua got hurt because he's a little man playing a big man's game. Mm. And guys, and the first one where he barely got touched and pushed down, he ended up with a concussion. He wouldn't. This wouldn't have happened if you don't put him back out there. So why are you putting it on the players?
1: Yeah, mm, good point. Travis Johnson with us. All right, let's talk about Damian Pierce. Uh, you're a guy who tackled people. What about what Damian Pierce is doing, breaking tackles, among other things? I mean,
2: the way he runs, I, I, I laugh because it, it reminds me of a couple running backs. But then the way he runs, it like – for some reason, it just keeps reminding me of Adrian Peterson. Just the way how hard he runs the ball. I remember playing Adrian Peterson in Minnesota when I was with San Diego. And I remember sitting in the hole and him like, oh, he's not even there. And tried to run through me. And I remember having to put all my cleats in the ground like, I'm not letting this dude run me over. And yeah. it looks like he's just always churning his legs. You know, I was a, I, I'm was a Bo Jackson fan. used to have my parents used to have, my auntie used to have season tickets to the Raiders back in the day when they were still in Los Angeles. And I was there when he got hurt, and I remember him always pulling that leg out, trying to get a whole nother yard, always mm-hmm. pulling and spinning and and finishing runs and and that's that's what I see out of this kid. I see this kid finishing runs and it's so wonderful to watch i mean he he skates he skates like uh. He skates like uh, Wayne Gretzky, what, uh, or 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 the gold the go from gold teeth to gold jackets. Edrin James, he skates like Edron James. He runs with the power of Bo Jackson, and he and he and he's as smooth as Arian Foster. Mm. I love this kid, man. I love watching him. It, it pains me because he's a Gator, and I'm like, why didn't we recruit him at Florida State? But at the same time, I love watching him because he's 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 what you expect out of a young running back.
1: How about the fact that he gives the ball to Laramie to spike the ball last week? Rex Burkhead scores a touchdown. He runs off the sideline to go celebrate with Rex. That kind of teammate, people notice that.
2: Of course, of course. I mean, one thing, one thing you always hear about. It's not about necessarily the Pro Bowlers, the Hall of Famers. You always talk about the guys who are great teammates. He's like, mm-hmm. dude, this dude is a great teammate. The other day, I got a call from Chris Dealman, who I played with in San Diego. He's like, hey man, you coming back for you know for the for the reunion? We're letting Jamal Williams in. Jamal Williams is a great teammate. The same way I feel about. Jeff Scanina and Andre, these are great teammates, great Mm -hmm. guys, guys that love you, guys that'll do anything for you. And that's what I see out of this guy. I see this guy as being one of those brothers that you're taking a foxhole and you're taking to meet your sister if you
1: if if you wanted to. All right, one more on him. As a defensive player, when you face a back like that, you talked about Adrian Peterson. Does it make you not make business decisions, but after a while? Are you just feeling like, I don't really want to tackle him? Does that have an effect on the defensive players knowing how hard it is to bring
2: well, it, it down? Well, it doesn't necessarily have an a, a effect on the defensive line, but the guys behind us, mm-hmm. yes. Like, those guys, especially the smaller ones, you start going to DBs and the safeties. Yeah. And, you know, especially the new-age linebackers who are only about 215 pounds. Right. Those guys kind of, they, after a while, they, they tuck tail and be like, you know what, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want this action anymore. You know, we always say bow your neck and earn your check. And these guys, when you got to go in there and hit this guy time every time. Marshawn said it best. You, you keep running them over, running them over, running again, over, 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 over. They eventually going to stop trying to tackle you. Wow. And that's what he's doing.
1: All right. What about the Texans' defense so far? It's not like it's a takeaway machine, but they are getting some opportunistic takeaways. Yes. This team hasn't been able to close out the way they want. They did against Jacksonville. What are you seeing overall from this defense? Well, I, I'm unit?
2: seeing, you know – uh, like, I'm seeing in the pass rush game, you know, uh, they're, they're almost there. Mm-hmm. You know, I see a lot of pressures. I see a lot of knockdowns. I see a lot of batted ball, I see a lot of everything you want in the pass rush game, but it's just not that finished yet. You know, it's not mm-hmm. a lot of guys. The, the sacks, like, they didn't get any this weekend. You know what I mean? And yeah. It's like, how didn't y'all get any? You know, but I think it, it speaks on how, uh, how Trevor was getting rid of the ball. It speaks on a lot of different things. But at the same time, you watch them get pressures. You watch them get knockdowns. Uh, I would like to see them be more of you know. I mean, I know they're a bend don't break off. I mean, defense. You know, I like to see them probably make a couple more tackle for loss. But I think this team, this this defense, has a lot of upside. They just got to put it all together. Like it's just not like right now they're giving up too many yards for me. But I really believe they're they're tightening up when they need to. You know what I mean? They're not giving up they're not right. giving up the end zone every week. You know what I mean? They they're they're they tightening up in the red zones. They're tightening up in the green zones. They tighten it up everywhere you want them to, but they're still giving up a lot of yards, more than I'd like to see. But I'm really still high on this defense.
1: All right. What about Mills in the passing game? Got to get better. They're working on it. They were a little bit better against Jacksonville. Not a ton of yards. They made some throws. What are you thinking moving forward?
2: Well, I I just don't want Davis to be checked down, Charlie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't want him going like like right now what he's averaging. 5 6 yards in attempt. You know what I mean? And it's probably a little bit more per completion if you do the numbers that way, probably 8 9 yards a, a, a per completion. You know, I like to see him push the ball a little bit more. Uh you know, if you can get 10 11 yards per completion, I, I would I would love that. I would love to see first downs every time you let go of the ball. And that's and, and I, of course his passer rating to, to to jump up in his and his and his uh and his average to jump up. I would love to see more consistency out of him because I think he's a smart guy. I think he's a guy who you can you continue to see get better week in and week out with his decision makings and the way the ball comes out of his hand. Like when he's when he's on and when he's really dialed in, the ball the ball shoots out of his hand. And I would like to see that week in week out.
1: Trevor Lawrence, what are you seeing out of him? They score six points against the Texans. This is a team that blew out the Chargers oh, yeah. two weeks prior. Oh yeah, this team, this, this team is up and down. I mean, they they're
2: they're. they're, they're they're the Jacksonville Jaguars. They well, how many is that straight that we beat the Jacksonville Jaguars? Nine, nine straight. Think about yeah. that. That reminds me of USC, UCLA in the nineties, like where USC couldn't beat UCLA to save their life. You know, like it just like I, I Jacksonville for some reason we've always had their number here. Mm-hmm. So like no matter how good they are, no matter how bad we are, or or vice versa. We always find a way to whoop Jacksonville. Fifteen
1: sir. games above five hundred yeah. all time. Think about that. It's amazing. Because it's not that way against the Colts and the Titans. We don't have to get into that right now. All right, a couple more for you. The Raiders are next in Vegas. The Raiders. All right, thoughts on the NFL in Vegas. Is this something that you wish was around when you were playing or are you glad it wasn't? You yeah, have no
2: idea. I wish I wish it
1: was around. What's I'm it gonna be so like to the players? That, uh, What's it going to be like for the players, Travis, hey, listen, traveling to Vegas?
2: I, I'm excited because I'm going on the trip. with. The, with <laughs> yeah, the but sp-
1: that's you. Hey,
2: You're free I, and clear. I I, st- I understand. You know what? I, I, I believed that when they put the Raiders there, I said, man, this is going to be. The Raiders be un- should be undefeated at home every week, mm-hmm. every year. Should be undefeated at home. Because you, you allow those guys to come out there. And if, every team should allow their guys to come out there on Friday. Right. I think that's that. That's the smartest thing to do. Say, you know what? We're going to travel on Friday. We're going to give you a day to get out your system, but Saturday we got to dial back in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you do Friday, you do all, go so gamble over
1: Saturday.
2: Yeah, yeah, go gamble, <laughs> do all the stuff that you would normally do here in town. But you got to <laughs> think about it. The defensive line, so We used to have defensive line day on Thursdays. Okay. The deep. So we, we'll have like a dinner. We'll go get you know get yeah. a suite somewhere. Yeah. Go to a concert. Do whatever we want to do. The DBs, the linebackers, they would do Fridays. Okay. You know, an old line will do Fridays. You know what I'm saying? So allow everybody to go do a team function somewhere, probably on when you get out there. Yeah. Rent out one of those places, you know, go mm-hmm. go get you some eat, some good, some some good delectable eating. Yeah. Get some <laughs> get get some libations in you. Get some gambling in you. And then- get it out of the way. And then lock in. And then IVs for everybody on Saturday. Why not? <laughs> what everybody? Everybody gets an IV. You wake up in the morning. It's like the first thing in the meeting. Everybody yeah. lines up like a Tordal shot. Get your IV, and you, you just wheel it around real fast till it's over with, and we we'll get started.
1: I had the nerve to ask Lovey about hotel security on <laughs> Saturday night before you play. You know, I was just joking around, really? and he said, "What is there anything in Vegas that's special or different from other cities?" I'm like, eh, "Not really. I mean, it's just Vegas. That's all." And the thing is. I don't even know what, like, what hotel are they staying in? Well, I'm not going to say it on the air, but uh, it's probably close enough. But everything's close and, but that, because no, it's, it's it, Vegas. But it, it's, not, it's not, my
2: thing is you're I'm are not thinking, staying in the desert, put okay, it that way. Okay, yeah, so my, my biggest thing is is if they're staying on the script, yeah. Like these are like It's mad. not
1: directly if They're not staying At Mandalay Bay Mandalay. Or Caesars Which is our partner yeah. I, I, That would be Actually convenient To stay at Caesars Palace That's not happening Because
2: that's what I'm thinking Like the, the hotels Are so massive Yep There's no way You can keep track Of all those guys
1: No way No way There's
2: too many exits On
1: like every floor <laughs> Like there's two ways To go all, all Everywhere yeah, it's not like staying uh, somewhere in Kansas City or Indy or something no, like that. No, it's not. Definitely not.
2: And, but you know, Indy's quiet as Kevin. Indy's a dang good place to stay, too. It was a pretty good time, too.
1: <laughs> it is. It is, it is. Well, look, the Combine is a great deal there, and all of it is.
2: Only when Jerry shows up with the bus.
1: Jerry in the bus. I've tweeted pictures of me outside the bus with others on our crew because the bus just happens to be parked in various spots. I'm not saying I know what's going on
0: in the bus.
1: Travis, thanks a lot for being with us.
0: I appreciate you, Mark. Thank you. That dude is just too much, man. Absolutely love Travis Johnson. Love the fact that he stopped by and we got him on a Friday show. Absolutely fun stuff. Now, another current player who stopped by the studio with D.P. and Mark was Kamu Grugier-Hill. Let's hear a little bit more from the Texas linebacker next on Texans All-Access. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All-Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, side reporter. And I know we've got a lot of fans out there today, but i got to give some props to today's biggest fan. That's Dykin. These guys are doing big things in Houston. As the world's number one indoor comfort provider, Dykin, He's committed to perfecting the air that connects us all. From comfort and convenience to air quality, Daikin's innovations are changing how people enjoy the indoors as they lead the way to a more sustainable future, reducing our carbon emissions to net zero by 2050. Learn more at Daikin, D-A-I-K-I-N, Daikin loves Houston.com. All right, I know somebody else who loves Houston. That's Kamu Grugier Hill. Now, he's from the island, Hawaii. So, Houston is a place that he has grown to love over the last couple of years. Well, he jumped into the hot seat next to DP Sidhu, next to Mark Vandermeer, and they talked about any number of things. Here's Kamu Grugier-Hill with DP and
3: Mark.
4: First win, huge. You yes. Know, I think the huge for the morale. Team's feeling great right now, and, um, yeah, we're just all excited.
3: It just feels like for the past few weeks it's been so close. Uh, do you feel like that you've gotten over some, just a hump, just getting mm-hmm. to this point now to sp- springboard you?
4: Yeah, you know, I think this is just the momentum we needed, right? Like you said, every week has been so close, and it's been so frustrating to, you know, last year was a little different because, you know, there were some games we weren't even in, right? So it's yeah. like, okay, let's mm-hmm. just move on to the next week. To come so close in these games and, and, and not come out a w- with a win is is so frustrating. So to get this one, I think it's gonna it's going to, you know, we're going to ride with this one for sure.
1: Yeah, to be able to close it out because you got the big stops when you needed to, mm-hmm. and you got the big drive when you needed to. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the ball, when you guys see mm-hmm. Pierce doing what he's doing, for instance, I mean, it's so physical, that 20-yard run, everybody's talking about it, but in general, there are a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. What does that do for you as a defense when you're watching that from the sideline?
4: I mean, it's just fuel. You know I mean? He's just, he's honestly, he's incredible. Like, honestly, it, it's fun to watch, you know, and sometimes, you know, me and uh, Kirko were talking yesterday. We're just to sit back on the bench and just watch that, like so close on the field. Is, is kind of like you know we're fans at that point. Um, but I mean for you know I think that yesterday was our first time playing like complimentary football, right? All three phases where we're doing their thing. Um, you know defense, like you said, defense was getting stops. Mm-hmm. Running uh, offense was doing their thing and 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 just you know eating up the clock and and scoring points. So. I mean, we're excited. And, and to, to watch Damian do his thing, man, it's it's crazy.
3: It seemed like Levy Smith after the Chargers game was really rough on mm-hmm. the defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably the most I've heard him say, that it just the defense just needed to play better. Mm-hmm. Did you guys do something different throughout the week, or was it an attitude adjustment? Like, what did you do differently? Because you guys really came out yeah. firing it, and it was a tough day for Trevor Lawrence, who had been having a pretty good season so far.
4: You know, I feel like I'm not a defense coordinator, right? But, but just... You know when you when you're we're yeah right. And so when, <laughs> Someday. when, when we when we, yeah, when we play, you know we we try and, you try to figure out your identity, right? What you're good at, and that's what really I think is is the first four games, right? You have your right. preseason, which is you're you're building your team and stuff. But I feel like first four games and maybe even first five games, you're you're really figuring out like what you're good at, like what your team is good at, um, and all that stuff. And I think that's a little bit what we were going through a little bit, right? And and to come out, um, and we we ran our stuff yesterday. That's you know that's at the at the end of the day that was our bread and butter and it, it was you know dominant I felt like
3: I mean Trevor Lawrence had only thrown two interceptions this season he <laughs> threw two yesterday mm-hmm. maybe the last one you could say okay that he just sort of chucked it up there mm-hmm. but what did you feel like you guys were doing well that you want to build on now here moving forward
4: I think we're just um I think the only thing I can really say is we were just playing our game right we're the defense that we we feel comfortable with doing is mm-hmm. just we were really um, executing those, those plays. Yeah. When we yeah. needed to. Yeah. Well,
1: and, and like we said, making the big stops. I mean, yeah. that's what it's all about. I know in the Chargers <clears throat> game you wanted that final stop, couldn't get it, and mm-hmm. things like that. So uh, it's a really encouraging thing. All right, so now we head into the bye. And what do you do during the bye? Because clearly you don't want to completely unplug, yeah. but you do want to unplug. How do you handle that aspect so of it? this is a
4: weird one, right, because uh, it's so early. So it's like you're not your body's not really there yet. Like we could really keep going, right? And um, you know, to have what is it, twelve games after we come back or something? Like that's a it's a stretch, stretch, right? So it's uh not ideal, but you know, either way, you gotta get away and just um treat it the same and just like you said, I think it's important to unplug a little bit. I do. You know, I think the season's so long and um you need to just get away from football for a little bit and and just um just unwind, and then when you come back, you like kind of have a fresh start. And with us going 12 games straight, I think it's important.
3: Is is a bye week? Does it look like just getting away physically, like you get out of town, go visit family, or is it more like is Netflix there, and chill? For it's you? different.
4: It's different. Um, I think that every year for me has been a little different. This year, uh, me and my girlfriend are going to go down to Florida. We're going to go, you know, just they have a beach that uh, her, and her family has this beach house down there. So we're going to go, um, just kind of relax. That and, sounds good. Yeah. Sounds right. Very relaxing. It's going to just relax a little bit, get away for, you know, two, three days and, um, and then we'll be back. But, you know, I think every year is a little different for me.
1: Kamo Grouchet Hill joining us on the Texans players show. All right. But, I want to talk about some fun stuff and I was going to hijack the show with Eastern Illinois trivia, but I figured that might not be good. Actually, DP told Actually, me, I told
3: him, no, I don't think we should do that. Yes.
1: Don't do it. Don't even try to do it, but we will get into some Hawaii stuff yes. because that's where you're from. But I want to talk about some of these young players on defense, you as a veteran and doing what you've done in this league. Then you see guys coming in here and they're learning and they're making some plays. They're learning They're paying some dividends. It's a process, right? When you look at Stingley with his first pick, Mm -hmm. what Petrie's doing so far. What about some of the young players, especially on defense? Of course. I mean, it's it's actually it's very encouraging, right,
4: to see these guys come in, play at such a high level, um, so quickly, and um, I mean they're holding their own, right? Like it's not like we're having to like, hey guys, you guys do this. It's like sometimes there's even sometimes they're taking charge, right? Like Petrie's like (laughs) getting on some of the linebackers, getting Mm -hmm. on the D line, or, or like Stings, you know, voicing his opinions and all this so I mean it's it's those two are um are special you know for sure so I mean they got a bright feature.
3: I know a lot of people are very curious about Christian Harris. He's been on mm-hmm. IR, and maybe he'll come back because he's now practicing with the team again. But you saw him in camp. You saw mm-hmm. him in the offseason. I heard so much about his speed, but, you know, w- what have you thought about him so far? And I know Lovey has talked about just the adjustment and what's expected of linebackers. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pretty big jump yeah. when you're a rookie.
4: No, I mean, I definitely think, you know, especially in this defense, right, They he, it's – I hate this. I always hated when people would say like, "Oh, the linebacker's a the quarterback of the defense, right?" Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, "Hey, we're, this defense, right? Everyone kind of plays whatever." But like in this defense, it kind of is like that, right? We kind of we're running, you know, all the checks, um, front end, back end. So it's like, you know, there's a lot on our plate. But you know, he, I'm excited for it when he goes back because that kid can straight out ball, right? And I, I'm excited um, to just to just see him, you know, grow. And and there's gonna be some growing pains. There's some growing pains with everyone, right? But um, just getting him out there and just uh, letting him do his thing is gonna be is gonna be good.
1: There's nothing like playing and fully participating in practice. But do you feel like, and I know this is a question for him, but just as a player in general, do you feel like he's seen enough to absorb enough to be able to contribute pretty quickly, relatively? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, he
4: was uh, he was right there in, in training camp too. He wasn't, you know struggling mentally if Mm -hmm. you know or anything where he was like having a hard time with the playbooks I think you know
1: he should be fine excellent looking forward to that seeing um, Christian Harris get out there all right so you have the Raiders in Vegas coming up as your next game and we probably won't get a chance to catch up like this but the NFL in Vegas are you are you feeling this concept yet are you on board with this just yet what's it going to be like projection wise i mean as you think about what it's like to go play a road game anywhere you're playing a road game in vegas i know it's weird it's very different
4: it's definitely weird but so i actually played there in 2020 but so there's no fans but their stadium is actually unbelievable like i think it's one of my favorite away stadiums to be honest Mm -hmm. like it's just it's pretty awesome so um, I'm excited for it. But I do understand the concept and, and just like the, you know.
1: Will you go out? Because sometimes on the road, you guys don't leave the hotel, but maybe you go to a nearby restaurant. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Sometimes you're yeah, able you, to do that? Know,
4: sometimes you got some downtime, time, so you go get some, you know, get some food or meet up with some family or whatever. Actually... Um, You know, they call Vegas like the ninth island of Hawaii. So, like, everyone's (laughs) Uh Yeah, you know, everyone's – my family's going to be out there. And, and, you know, i got a bunch of friends coming out. So, we'll definitely see them. Well,
1: I think they're going to draw so well forever because it's such an easy place to get to from everywhere. Relative to the amount of flights that go in. Everybody wants to go there. There's plenty (laughs) of other stuff to do. But will there be a temptation to – Hey, I'm just gonna walk into the casino and look around for a minute, <laughs> just just to browse. <laughs> I just dabble a little bit didn't no, yeah. no, no, no.
4: no, I don't think so. Business you know, we, trip? Yeah, business trip. You know, we got all the time in the off season. They get we we have months in the off season. I I, I actually I go to Vegas a decent amount in the oh, off season. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. I do. So, um, yeah, no, that won't be. No, at least for me, I You'd don't probably know. be
3: in bed because it's all the games have been so early. Exactly. I don't know the Vegas game. Well, might be a little they bit later. It back
4: a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What time
3: do you normally go to bed on a road trip?
4: Road trip, it depends, you know, around 10, I'd say, like yeah. 10,
1: 10.30. Yeah, do you, yeah. Do you get enough Vegas sleep? Vegas is just
3: getting warmed you, up at that point. In
1: general, Kamu, do you get as much sleep as you want, or would you like to get more, or how do you feel about the amount of sleep you're getting? Because I know athletes are very particular about this kind of thing. So
4: this is, I was just actually talking to someone about this. I think it's crazy that, you know... I can't put my finger on the night before games. Like, I think Friday nights are the most important for me. Two days before, I just think that, like, if I, whenever time, every time I get good sleep Friday night, I feel great, right? But the game, night before the game, I could sleep five hours tossing and turning and feel amazing in the game. Really? And, then I'll, and then another game, I can sleep nine hours and feel like sluggish. You know, it's just like, it's yeah. just weird. I don't know, it's always, but it's only the night before the game. That's kind of weird. I don't know.
3: Do they track your sleep? Because I know they track pretty much every other metric. They
4: should. They, they do. I mean, not like, they're just asking, you know, how are you sleeping and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, if, if it's not a concern, they're not, you know.
3: Can I just say that I bought an Aura Ring, and I'm not sponsored by Aura Ring, but I bought it and I wear it at night because yeah. I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by sleep as well. And yeah. sometimes it's like, you're right, you can get nine hours of sleep, you feel tired, you can get less sleep, and you feel fine. And, and what I learned was sometimes it's like, it, it could be what you ate. Yeah. It could be how late you had caffeine that day. It could be how late you're watching TV. It's not yeah. the hours of sleep, but if you're tossing and turning, even for nine hours, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's not a good sleep. So I
4: actually, what's weird is I actually want to get the aura Ring, but I'm like, sometimes I'm kind of like, uh, not superstitious, but I can get in my head about these kind of things. So yes. like, for example, if I sleep good... And like my aura ring says, tells you like, it's a bad s- sleep. It's a bad sleep. I'm like, you're gonna feel bad. I'm gonna feel bad. All right,
1: it's you're important. not a rookie anymore, Kamu. So how do you handle what you eat and how you take care of your body? How has that changed over the years since you've come into the league? Yeah, you know, I think it's a lot of it's same kind of thing, right? Trial, trial and error. You kind
4: of just, you know, uh, eliminate things just depending on how your body feels and you know you can eat something and you know you play a game or whatever and then the next day you're like damn i feel horrible or you eat something and you're Mm. like "Hey, i feel pretty good like i'm getting good recovery and all that stuff so okay um i think for me is is you know i've cut out dairy and sugar has been the biggest thing dairy for sure
1: like i noticed that
4: when i eat dairy um like inflammation wise like my joints Mm. and kind of stuff kind of i feel worse but Wow. Were
3: you the one that told me that on game days you are vegan?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you still do I that? I still do that, yeah.
3: Okay, so that's no dairy, no meat. No yeah, no,
4: no, pro, no, pro, no, it's nope. no meat mainly. Yeah. Okay, no animal products. Well, no basically. animal
1: products, yeah. slows yeah. down the digestion maybe so or something did like watch that. you the documentary Game Changers?
3: No, because I'm, I'm afraid I'm afraid it's going to make okay. me vegetarian, vegan. So yeah.
4: that's the one that like universally, like worldwide, right? It just shocked everyone, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, we need to like think about this, right?" And then so I kind of, you know, I remember I was in Philly at the time, and like our whole locker room was like, there was guys going like straight vegan after
3: right. That. And Kenny, there was Kenny Stills was actually a part of it. He that. was
4: yeah, he was in he it. He was yeah. on
3: our team at the time. <clears throat> exactly. We're talking to him about that. Okay. So,
4: um, you know, there's certain things that I was like, I, 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 me personally, like, I just can't not eat meat like that's just Mm -hmm. i'll never be able to do that right i love fish i love like too delicious steak i love exactly right (laughs) sorry it is exactly animal activist (laughs) so uh, yeah exactly um but the one thing i did take from that with the one with kenny Steele's actually it was Mm -hmm. they're doing a blood test and um they were showing how like meat can uh affect your blood like within the hour so like if you eat you know meat products or whatever like your blood is a little thicker um, and it's, like, kind of... It, Sounds good to me. I need yeah, some right. thick it, blood. It, but it's, like, it just... it. Um,
3: what does that affect, like, your how active I think it's the you way your in?
4: oxygen can move throughout your, oh, your blood okay. and just all this kind of stuff, you know. But they showed, like, when you're eating vegan prog- products, it's, like, your bloodstream is very, like, fluid and, mm. like, oxygen can flow and stuff. And so I tried it, and I actually felt, like, more energy. I could, like, actually run. Like, I wasn't getting tired, all this kind of stuff. So, I like, that's the one thing I did take from it.
5: Man,
0: it's some interesting stuff there from Kamu Grugier-Hill. Now, let's hear some from O.J. Howard. That's next right here on Texans All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go on this TGIF edition of Texans All Access. Love a Friday edition of Texans All Access, especially the second hour. We got a lot to do. If you missed the first hour, you missed all my predictions. You missed a great interview with Mark and Trap J, Travis Johnson, and, of course, Kamu Grugier-Hill stop by in our last segment with D.P., Sidhu, and Mark Vandermeer. Speaking of D.P., it's time for one of our Deep Slant interviews of the week, and that one is with O.J. Howard. I would say he's the most recently signed tight end, but I think I think he and Jordan Akins maybe were signed within days of one another, one to the 53-man roster, one to the practice squad, and now they're both together on the 53-man roster, and D.P. had a chance to catch up with O.J., Back after you had a couple touchdowns against Indianapolis Colts. It's fun stuff. Take a listen.
3: You said that you came in in week one and you were only learning your portion of the playbook. How has that transition been going? You been learning a little bit more? Yeah, it's
6: been good. That was, that was a plan, you know, kind of just go week to week. And then, you know, as we go on, try to like give me the whole schematically scheme of the playbook in general. So, you know, this week my role as far as trying to learn more has grown. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of studying and, you know, that's what I've been doing really.
3: All right, so first game with the Texans, you scored two touchdowns. You were just the third tight end in NFL history who scored two touchdowns in their first game with a team. Wow. So you're part of NFL history. You've also had some pretty historic games. Tom Brady is a Buccaneer. His first touchdown was also to you. Yeah. What yeah. was that moment like when Tom Brady comes in and, and you're the first guy that catches a pass from in the end zone?
6: Um, That was cool. It was awesome. Funny thing about it is when he first got to training camp, I caught the first touchdown pass. Oh, you did? Camp. Yeah, so – and then it just happened to work out that way in the game, so it was kind of cool that you know it happened that way. But that was awesome. Um, I got a chance to keep the ball, so I still got it. Oh, framed, okay. got it framed at home, so that was, that was pretty cool.
3: I mean, you worked with a lot of different quarterbacks over the years. Was it super different when Brady comes in and, and he's sort of running the offense? Yeah, it
6: was. You know, just you know, hearing this guy you know speak about you know the game from a different aspect of that we've always heard it. I know, it's, it's stuff we hadn't heard before. I mean, it's stuff we've heard before, but to make him keep it simple was like, oh, it's really that easy. You know, it, it was—it's just the way his terminology was. It made it a lot, lot smoother.
3: You've also played with a quarterback that we're very familiar with here, Ryan Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm. who we just loved when he was here, Fitzy. And he had the moment where he put on Deshaun Jackson's jacket and gold chains yeah. because he wanted—he was joking, like we should stay humble and not change who we are. Yeah. I went back and I—I I looked at the stats. You also kind of touched on that game too. Yeah. The one that really elevated Fitzy in Tampa Bay, 75-yard touchdown game. Mm-hmm. What was it like playing with Fitzy?
6: It was awesome. Always magic. You know what I mean? Like Fitz magic is magic is real. (laughs) I mean, you know, so got to play with him. And, you know, it's always like the plays that, you know, you can't draw up on paper and you still make the touchdowns happen. You know, just the experience, his personality was the whole nine yards.
3: So as a tight end, like a lot, we see a lot of guys switch to tight ends in their career, but you've always been a true tight end. You were a five star recruit coming out of high school, first round draft pick coming out of college. When did you decide that tight end was a position you were going to play, and was there ever any other position that interested you?
6: Yeah, yeah. So you know, really, when I f- started playing tight end was like 11th grade. When I kind of like, kind of like tapped into it a little bit, but senior years when I really fully went to mm. tight end. Um, even at Alabama, I was getting recruited as a linebacker, outside linebacker at first, and then they were like, okay, this kid can play tight end. Let's offer him as a tight end. So you know, it was my senior year when I finally like dialed in and played tight end fully the whole football season. Other than that, my high school, I played all around running back, quarterback a little bit. So, senior year.
3: I, I know, I don't know if you read your Wikipedia page because Wikipedia's, we know, is not all facts. But on there, it says that Nick Saban actually regretted that he didn't play you more. Uh, before your senior yeah. year so did that actually happen and how did that conversation go
6: yeah so wikipedia quick 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 thing about it it's not always fact. it's not always fact. My, my, birthday wrong. my birthday's wrong on wikipedia <laughs> so wrong. you know i know that's true so it's
3: not it's not you yeah, writing your wikipedia right. clearly okay so that's part's true but um well
6: <laughs> yeah that, that that is uh coach did come out and say that i think in, a, in an interview or, or so but you know at the time when i was at alabama we were known for running the ball really well yes and uh we were, we were establishing a dominant run game so um, The tight end would get the ball, you know, off of that. You know what I mean? Off the the success of the run game. And then if it's if it's working, why change it? So we didn't really air it out like that at Alabama when I played. But, you know, it still worked out. It helped me become a, 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 a blocker and develop as an all-around tight end.
3: So you have a national championship with Alabama. You have a yeah. Super Bowl ring. I mean, that's very rare, I think, for a football player to have both of those things. So if you had to rank your best sports memory, yeah. what would it be?
6: I, I would say... You know the national championship because of the work that I put in with those guys, and we all came in as a class mm. uh, and, and as freshmen, and we all got to become come from boys to young men as we got older because we wanted our junior year, and we we're going to be the last class to not win one because Nick Saban, every class has won a ring with him. Okay. He's recruited, and it came down to our last year to do it before guys entered the draft, so that was our last chance, and guys buckled up and made it happen, and we kept it going and to this day. That's still the fact that every team has won a championship every recruiting class so that that was special to me because it came down to the wire for us it was either win it or be the team that kind of messed it up broke the streak yeah so that, that that really um it was special to me
3: well i was going to ask you what yeah. means more the national championship or the super bowl but it yeah. sounds like in college that means more just because you're with the same guys for so long
6: exactly um just that camaraderie like staying at the dorms with those guys running those 110s and sweating and like i say it just college is a lot you know like, like a lot more connected i think but uh, nothing takes away from the Super Bowl but that college one is something that you know we always will remember for sure
3: all right you've gone through your share of adversity in your career as well mm-hmm. back in 2020 you had the Achilles injury which knocked you out for the year was that the toughest injury that you would had to date mm-hmm. and what was that like coming back from that
6: yeah that was hard you know the recovery process was hard you know just, that's a
3: tough injury it
6: is it is it's like you know used to be a career under like maybe right. like 15 years ago or so but you know, and, and, and at that time, it was the first year Tom came. I was I was having a great year starting off and, you know, got, got a good connection with him. And then, boom, week four, I do that. Um, it just kind of tore me up. So, yeah, that was hard, you know, and the recovery was a tough one. And like I say, that injury is like a two-year recovery process just mm. to get the nervous system back going the right way. So that, that by far, was the toughest one ever.
3: So that was in 2020, and then this offseason, you signed with Buffalo. Mm-hmm. You're with Buffalo throughout the whole offseason, throughout camp. Yep. They release you, yep. and then you signed with the Texans, as we know, right after training camp ended. So what were, what were the emotions like going through something like that? You've yep. been with the same team for five years, and now you switch switched two teams in the offseason. Right. What, what's going through your head when all this is going on?
6: You know, it, like I told all my friends and my family, as all that was going on, it was it was kind of hectic a little bit for, you know, people, you know, that, that were outside a little bit. But the friends and family kind of knew. I was like, you know, the work's been put in. Um, we're just going to trust the process. You know what I mean? Everything's happened for a reason. It's already written. So, you know, if we just do our part, everything else is going to fall in line. So that was kind of my mindset. Up in Buffalo, I got an opportunity to to put in some great work. You know, it's a good team.
3: Got to uh, work with another great quarterback yeah, great there. quarterback,
6: great players on defense. So, you know, I knew that I was getting great looks. You know what I mean? If it didn't work out like it didn't, uh, if I made another stop and found a home and I was going to be ready to play, and that's what happened kind of here. I know in the
3: locker room you had said that you had heard about Lovey through some guys in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers locker room. Yeah. He was gone by then, but there were some players that remained. Mm-hmm. I asked Lovey about it, if he had heard anything about you, and he said, of course, you saw those connections with Buffalo and Tampa Bay, and they really wanted you here. So yeah. when you come here... In Houston, and you meet with Lovey for the first time. Did he sort of live up to that expectation, or, or what you had heard? And, and did you guys have any of those conversations?
6: Yeah, yeah, he did. Like you know, a lot of the guys that I uh, was around, like Levante David, Cameron Brake, those guys were, were there with him. So you know, I was just like, how was the coach before I got here? And they were like, oh, it was Lovey. It's like, man, <laughs> we liked him, bro. He down to earth, you know. So it was, it was those type yeah. of conversations. Me as a rookie. Wonder like how it was before, you know, in the previous regime. Yeah. 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 So we got on conversations like that. And I had a buddy in the equipment room that coached under him. He even said great things about him. Then when I got here, I met Coach Smith. And well, before I actually met him, we got on the phone first. Okay. So they, um, he was, we got, we called on the phone. And then I met him in person. And then you just watching him around and his demeanor is cool as a fan, you know, real stand up guy. And you know what I mean? And those are the things I already heard. But when you see it and you get to meet a person for yourself. It brings it to light, so that, w- that was cool. That was a cool, cool to see.
3: All right, so you meet Levy, you meet your new teammates. So I want to play a little word association game with you. Okay. The first word that comes to mind when you when I ask about your fellow tight ends. Now this could be based on your first impressions, or mm-hmm. it actually it should be based on your or or how well you know them now. Yeah. Brevin Jordan.
6: Brevin, I know. Going back to Brevin it was like young guy. I was this guy's counselor one time at a football camp. Really? Yeah, he was when I was in college um,
3: in Oregon. L- oh, Oregon. I got called out to in. Oregon. He okay. was at
6: something called the opening, and I was a tight ends coach up there as a counselor. You know, he was one of the, the campers. He was one of the guys, and he brought <laughs> Wait, it up to he, me. Wait,
3: was he was he like how he is now back then? Yeah, yeah, he was.
6: You know, he because he was from he was from. I remember he was the kid from Vegas. He had a quarterback yes. there with him from high school. Yes. So everybody in the camp kind of knew who they were. Okay. Um, you know, and like I said, I was the counselor for the tight end, so I was around the guys, and I just remember him. And you know, I saw. I remember he went to Miami, and then like when I got here, the first thing he said, "What's up, bro?" And I was like, Man, "He what's remembered up? you, and he you remembered, remembered me." Him. Then when he remembered me, it, it brought me back. Of course. So like, oh okay. yeah, that's right. So. Wow. That that's kind of like what happened with him but he I was like like I said he was a senior in high school back then so yeah
3: so you wow you really have a history with these guys all right Jordan Akins he was a guy that was here a few years ago and now he's back Mm -hmm. again I saw him in the hallway and I was like welcome back he's back wearing number 88 but what are your first impressions of Jordan Akins
6: yeah Ake Ake is a guy that uh kind of we we're like he's like one of my buddies right now because we're both like going through the process of learning this all relearning it yeah. yeah yeah so we've always been hanging out like these these last these couple weeks and um you know getting to know him better and learning about his family you know what I mean and uh, his his journey about playing, you know, uh, baseball. Baseball. He was drafted. Yeah. He was
3: drafted yeah. by the Rangers. Went
6: yeah. UCF, and we know some mutual friends at UCF, so that's cool. That's the kind of connection you and him have right now. So yeah, that's cool.
3: Okay. Do you have any connections with Mason Shrek? No, I'm curious. Oh yeah.
6: Well, no connection with Mason. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I, I, what do
3: you think? What What are your thoughts of him?
6: Mason is another guy that kind of knows, you know, knows how it goes. You know what I mean? And a uh, humble guy, uh, great personality. You can go up to him and talk to him, and you know, he'll just give you anything you need, answers, and you know, help you out.
3: All right. Well, I think my word for you has to be well connected. Like, you have connections everywhere throughout the league. And we love to see the connections that you make with Davis Mills. Can't wait to see more of them throughout the season. OJ, thank All you right. so much thank for the time. So much. Nice. Thank, you. thank you.
0: So glad OJ Howard is here in Houston and thriving. And hopefully, the second half of the season. I always call the second half of the season the one after the bye. Gets him more involved in the pass game alongside Jordan Aikens. And, of course, a healthy Brevin Jordan. Hopefully, Brev's going to be healthy to go back to his hometown in Las Vegas next week. All right, we get back. It was a great win in Jacksonville. I do a show every Tuesday night called Texans Matchup. And I look back at the Ultimate 11 play slash moments of the game that just transpired. Well, I was fortunate enough to do the Ultimate 11 for a win over Jacksonville. So I thought, why not on a Friday night? Let's go back and look at and relive that win over Jacksonville. Through that ultimate 11. That's next to Texans All-Access. Welcome back to the Friday edition of Texans All-Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And I host a show on Tuesday night called Texans Matchup. And on that show, I do a lot of looking back. And every show during the season, I look back at the previous week's game. And I come up with the ultimate 11 play slash moments of that particular game. Win or lose. Well, some games that's been hard to do, but this week it was a lot easier to do. So I thought on a Friday night and a bye week with no game, why not look back at the one win the Texans have had in the first five weeks of the year? Yes, let's look back at the ultimate 11 moments against Jacksonville. So let's start right here at number 11 with the guy who is going to finish at number one, and that's Damian Pierce. But earlier in the game, he got rolling on the first field goal drive. He had three Chunk runs that really got the Jaguars' attention, and it got the Texans' old line really involved in the game. And here they are. Second and nine, Texans from the Houston
1: 26. Pierce lone back as Mills is under center with Collins to the left side. Handoff again. Pierce straight ahead, 30, 35, and spun down at the 38-yard line. First down, carry 12 yards. Damian Pierce moved the sticks. Backset and I should be the last play of the first quarter. Mills feeds Pierce again right side across the 40 and taking people with him to the 45-yard line what a run for seven yards Damian Pierce Texans on the move as the first quarter comes to an end second and three Texans from the Houston 45-yard line with Pierce in the backfield Mills under center two receivers stacked left handoff Pierce starting left cutting right 50 45 to the sideline. 40 up the sideline and bounds, across the 37-yard line. Another sensational run by Damian Pierce to move the ball into Jacksonville territory. 17-yard scamper.
0: I love the use of the word scamper. Nice job, Mark Vandermeer. But that was three. Those were three tremendous runs there by Damian Pierce. 36 yards in total on those three runs on a drive that led to a field goal. And... I'm glad that I brought up that field goal because let's get to number 10. Number 10 on our play highlight sheet, too. So it kind of fits. The Texans had gotten in position with those Pierce runs, but drive stalled round, 32, 33-yard line. No real wind in Duval County, but things can get kind of funky in, in that stadium, too. You can, have, you can feel the wind down below, but then the sticks aren't moving, so it can kind of go side to side. It can be a little weird in that building. But, Kymie Fairbairn said, uh, you can have your win, John. I'm going to nail this 50-yard field goal and tie this thing up at three. And that's exactly what Kymie Fairbairn did. He took those three Pierce runs, a couple of uh, throw to Nico Collins, and got the Texans up on the board and tied it at three. It comes in at number 10.
1: 50-yard field goal attempt for Fairbairn between the hashes. Snap is down. The kick is up.
0: And Fairbairn is good and ties the game 3-3. Kaimi blasted that one. That thing was – I always measure it by where it crosses the stick. And that thing was crossing more than three-quarters of the way up the stick, and it was smoking. That thing was good from uh, 60-plus. He bombed that one. So, Kaimi tied the game at three with that first 50-yard field goal. So it's good to get on the board at that point. Now, one of the things that Coach talked about, I think it was after the game, he was asked about the takeaways. And he made sure to mention the fact that the Texans also had three, quote-unquote, other takeaways, too. And those would be the fourth down stops in the game. There were three of them. There was the fourth and ten, that happened late in the game where Derek Stingley was in perfect position to force Trevor to have to throw a ball away. That turnover. Fourth down, I mean, that's what it is. When a team doesn't get it on the stat sheet, what does it say? Turnover on downs. So that's a bunch of takeaway. It's a forced turnover. I guess is the right way of saying it. Now, they had a couple others too, but one that came up big was in the uh fourth quarter. Jaguars driving and they got in kind of no man's land, but they got it to fourth and one. And they had already been stopped on a fourth down earlier in the game. Could the Texans on fourth and one, they had been better stopping the run in the second half. How much better was really going to come to fruition on this fourth and one for the Jaguars as the Texans front stuffed the running back, James Robinson, kept him short of a first down, and kept the Jaguars off the scoreboard. It comes in at number nine. Fourth and one at the Houston 38.
1: Lawrence in the gun. Robinson in the backfield with him.
0: Here's the snap. Here's the
1: give to Robinson. Plowing forward. And they stop him short at the 38-yard line. Malik Collins in the middle of that. And it was one of those situations where the old linemen are trying to get behind the play and push the plow forward. They couldn't do it. And the Texans get another turnover on downs here. They have the ball in a 6-6 game, 12-27 to go in the fourth quarter.
0: Now, the Texans would not go down and score off of that stop. But it kept the Jaguars from keeping a potential scoring drive alive. And, yes, Malik Collins was big on that, as was Big Heine, Kurt Heinisch in there. They both crashed down the line of scrimmage and really created a huge pile of that Robinson was unable to find any seam. And then the Jaguars got no push from behind. Nobody came and tried to shove a man forward. You see that all the time. Jaguars did not do that. And the Texans got the stop, got the Jaguars off the field, and kept them off the scoreboard, which was absolutely massive. A great job there by the Texans to defense in the second half to not only hold the Jaguars' running game in check, but also get that stop on fourth and one. All right, let's get to number Eight, and we go right back to the well. The Texans had a 3-3 lead, got a drive going before half, couldn't get it past about the same spot they were in on their first field goal drive. So they turned it over to Kymie Fairbairn, and he, from 51 yards out, knocked this one home to give the Texans a 6-3 lead.
1: Here's Fairbairn, left hash mark, 51-yard field goal attempt. He made it from 50 in this end moments ago. Weeks with the snap, Cameron Johnston with the hold. Here's Fairbairn's kick. It's up. It's good. He's two for two, and the Texans take the lead on Jacksonville, 6-3, with 3.23 to go before intermission.
0: All right, let's move on to lucky number seven, and there was no luck here. The Texans had a 13-6 lead, and they were looking to close out the Jacksonville Jaguars and there are a couple of key plays on this particular drive trying to slow the Jaguars down and the first one was big Rasheem Green and you talk about a guy that's coming into his own Rasheem Green has been making some plays well he was rushing Trevor Lawrence and as he was trying to get to Trevor Lawrence he got to a point where Lawrence was about to throw the ball he wasn't quite there so the big fella decided you know what I'm just gonna jump up see what I can do And he batted it down with his hands and his helmet, and the ball went flying. Texans couldn't get it. But that breakup led to a 4th-and-10 throwaway, which nearly ended the game. So I'm putting both of them in here at number 7. Rasheem Green's bat down, and then a throwaway into really tight coverage, and it's at number 7.
1: 151 to go in the fourth
0: quarter. 13-6 Houston leads. Third down
1: and 10. Jags at the 50. Lawrence in the gun. Etienne to his left. Two receivers stacked left. Two to the right side. Lawrence takes the snap. Lawrence with time throwing. Batted down at the line. Fourth and 10 on the way. Rasheem Green got a paw on it and it's fourth and long. Fourth and 10 at the 50. Lawrence in the gun. Etienne to his right. Here's the snap to Lawrence. Lawrence has time. Looking. Firing downfield deep and incomplete. Texans take over on downs. Houston has the ball with a minute 41 to go and a 13-6 lead.
0: Great plays by Rasheem Green and then a team stop. Derek Stingley in the vicinity had to throw that one away even though he had... Travis Etienne on the flat. I think Sting could have gotten back to him before he got the 10 yards, but Sting dropped in coverage, made a really hard throw on the short corner sale route, and the Texans got off the field. But they couldn't finish it, and probably for good reason. They were just trying to run the clock out and just run time, so they weren't really trying to pound for extra yards, especially the Jags pulling the football. So they had to punt, punted it back to the Jags. Now they could play pass defense. Now they could just rush, pin their ears back, and get after him. And this drive started with a guy who had a tremendous, tremendous game. And you'll hear him twice because this final drive, Desmond King was absolutely, outrageously good. He comes up with a pass breakup right here. It's at 6A because I got three different plays at number six. So it's the first one at number six, Desmond King's pass breakup to start the drive.
1: Here are the Jaguars with 41 seconds left, Texans leading 13-6. No timeouts for Jacksonville. First down from the Jags 13, Lawrence in the gut. Lawrence stepping up, Lawrence throwing downfield and knocked away by Desmond King, intended for Zay Jones. King had the left hand extended and knocked the ball down, second and 10, 36 seconds to go.
0: Then it was Derek Stingley's opportunity to get his hands on a throw. Lawrence looked over to his right, defense left, And 2-4 were standing over there. And those two have played against each other before in the CFP National Championship game in 2019 where Stingley and the LSU Tigers came out on top. Stingley was going to come out on top yet again. This is 6-B on the final drive where Stingley comes up with another pass breakup.
1: First down, Jaguars from there, 24. Three receivers left, one back. Lawrence has to let it rip. Lawrence stepping up and firing downfield. Tipped and incomplete. Stingley got a hand on it.
0: Sting was all over the place. You might hear a play that he made a little earlier in a game later in the show. But right now, that comes up big on the final drive. And then it culminated with a potential Hail Mary attempt. Jags just wanted to have a shot to throw it for the end zone. Well, pass rush got to him. Trevor was in trouble, as you'll hear Mark say. And then he floated one. And 2-5, Desmond King went and found that football to end this game. And it's 6C, the last play of the game. The last play of a tremendous drive and performance by the defense in the second half. Here's the final play of the game. Three seconds to go. Jags
1: have it at their 47. Lawrence in the gun. Lawrence scrambling around. He's in trouble. Trying to back up and launch the Hail Mary. Steps out to the right. Lawrence heaves it. It's going to be well short. And it's picked off. Texans have it at the 20 king across the 30 the 40 right side and he runs out of bounds at the 44 yard line the game is over the texans win their first of 2022 defeating jacksonville on the road
0: 13-6 oh man can i tell you what that was like to hear mark vandermeer say those words in my ears and yours texans win 13-6 It has been a while, 287 days since getting a win. Now, there were four field goals in this game and one touchdown. Now, typically, when I do an ultimate 11, the touchdown ends up being number one or number two, especially in a game when there's only one touchdown. It usually is number one, right? Well, the guy who's at number one is at number five, and it's the only touchdown of the game. And I don't want to take away from a one-yard run when your defense is completely stacked against you But offensive line created a little bit of a seam. Damian Pierce found a hole from one yard out. But, man, this was nerve-wracking. After the run just prior to this one, Doug Peterson had challenged whether Damian Pierce was down on the ground on a review, and thankfully he did because they would have had an extra timeout at the end of the game to use. But he was down. So on second and goal, Davis Mills handed to Damian Pierce yet again. Touchdown, Texans take the lead.
1: Texans. Tightly bunched, second and goal, inside the one, Pierce, the lone back, Mills under center. Now Hairston in the backfield, Offside. hand handoff Pierce to the goal line, he's in! The Texans take the lead, a one-yard touchdown run by Damian Pierce. Welcome back to Gator Country.
0: Oh yeah, Duval County is definitely Gator Country. Now, there are a few knolls that fight for their lives in that town, but it's, it's Gator Country for sure. It's about an hour and... I don't know, it's an hour and 15 on a good day, probably hour and 45 on a bad day, and probably about two hours and 15 on game day. And I've made that trip many, many times. Game at 8 o'clock, you better be leaving in the morning early if you want to get there and tailgate, which Gator fans know how to do. But this is about the Jaguars, and the Texans beating the Jaguars 13-6, and that touchdown was the difference right there by Damian Pierce. Now, how did we get there? That, I'm glad you asked, because we go to number four, and it was a third down on that drive. It was third and two. And there'll be a telestrator on this. I did key play key play breakdown on this play. But the Jaguars anticipated Damian Pierce getting the ball, especially when Davis Mills lined up in the pistol, which is a little shorter shotgun, right? So he lined up in the pistol with Damian behind him. So they brought a blitz, thinking we'll run, right in, we'll run this blitz right into where they're going to run the ball. We'll shut him down. We'll get the ball back. But that put the secondary in one-on-one coverage. And that had Nico Collins against Tyson Campbell. And Nico was about to burn, is the best way of saying Tyson Campbell. And then at the end of it, he mossed him. Nico does a great job getting down the field, single safety in the middle of the field, down the sideline, got no help over the top. And Davis was able to get just enough on it with a rusher coming at him. And he was able to go up, Nico was, and get this ball, and it comes in at number four. Man, what a conversion this was on third and two.
1: On third and two, Mills takes the snap. Mills throws left sideline and Nico trying for the catch. There's a fight for it. Nico has it at the 42. There's a flag down and it's a first down for the Texans. Rule the catch. Let's see what the marker's about. First down at the 42 yard line of the Jags. It's a 24 yard pickup if it holds.
0: And it would definitely hold. 24 yard catch by Nico. Every angle you saw, and I was standing behind a play right near the line of scrimmage, so I'm peeking on the sidelines, and I'm like, yeah, he caught that thing. I mean, it's just incredible. Unbelievable catch by Nico Collins, and that comes in number four, in part because I'm kind of going in order here. Now, after the Trayvon Walker incident, where the Texans were facing a third 20. He goes offside, then he slams Davis Mills to the ground. That gave the Texans 20 yards. They then move the ball a little bit further to the point where it's third and five. But the Texans had a false start. That moved them back to third and 10. Oh, boy. Now, this play, they had actually run earlier in the game. And I remember it distinctly because Andre Ware was talking about the type of throw that Davis Mills threw out to OJ Howard. And the two of them kind of misconnect, dis- disconnected on that play. On this one, though, Jordan Aikens was in the slot. He was the number three receiver, so you count of outside in. Number one, number two, number three. So you had Brandon Cooks, number one, Tyler Johnson, number two. And those two ran hard inside. The corner, Shaquille Griffin went hard with Brandon Cooks. So when, Brand, when Jordan Akins went out to the flat, he kind of ran like a, a little out and up. That should have been where Griffin was. But he stayed with those two receivers inside too long. Davis able with a rusher right in his face. He was able to spit it out there to Jordan Aikens. Aikens makes the catch and then dove for the first down, and he got it, and it comes in number three.
1: Third down and 11 from the 39-yard line. Just inside it as the officials stop things for a moment. Now Mills with no backs on third and 11 across the Jacksonville 39-yard line. Three receivers, right two to the left side. Davis gets the snap. Davis looking, Davis throwing to the right sideline, hits Akins, reaching for the marker, right sideline. The Jags say no, the officials say... One says yes to the other. They're talking, and they're, in they're discussing, and it's a catch, and it's good for a first down at the 28-yard line. Akins with a nice move up the sideline after snaring that pass from
0: Mills. Now, one of the things I pointed out during the game, because Doug Peterson did have the red challenge flag in his hand, I thought of anybody that shouldn't throw that challenge flag it would be Doug Peterson because the play was very similar to Zach Ertz's game-winning or game-clinching touchdown against the Patriots in the Super Bowl the 2017 year that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Nick Foles hit Ertz on a slant Ertz caught it took two steps and dove and when he did the ball hit the ground. They reviewed it and upon review, they said, yeah, he had the ball clearly when he hit the ground. He was a runner at that point. That was what Jordan Atkins was after he caught that ball. So there was a little bit of controversy. The fans were like, oh, the ball came out. But he had already established himself as not a pass catcher anymore. He was now a receiver. He was now a runner because the ball was clearly in his hands. So when he dove and the ball came out, the, he had already completed the process of the catch. So if anybody's going to know that, it was Doug Peterson. And so he didn't throw the challenge flag. Now, he went a little bit earlier on the play right before our number one play, but he probably would have liked to have had a review on this one and had this one back at number two. Number two to me, I mean, one and two, I mean, you, you're not going to find a number one better than Damian Pierce's run. Let's just be honest about that. But number two is hugely important for a number of reasons. Jaguars are driving, got the ball at the Texans' seven-yard line. It's second and one. The Jaguars have everything available. Get the first down. You'll be inside the five, and everything's, you know, the world's your oyster. It's at least three. Game 6-6. Six, six. It's at least three. So I take you back a week prior. Austin Eckler. Whenever I say the name Austin Eckler from now on, Texas fans are going to be like, oh, my God. Remember that play that the Chargers ran? Well, guess who also has that play in their arsenal? The Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Jaguars pulled it out earlier in the game. And Trevor Lawrence hit Travis Etienne in the flat and ended up being a big game. Like, man, can they stop this play? And it's not an easy play to stop. Now, I don't recall what coverage the Texans were on that play. But I know against the Chargers, they were a man coverage. So second and one, the Jaguars wanted to run that same play. Well, this time, Lovey Smith called a zone coverage. And that's important because Jalen Petrie does a whale of a job getting out to the flat to take away James Robinson. So that forced Trevor Lawrence to hold on to the football. And when he held on to the football too long, he tried to hit the guy in the back end zone. And who was there? Rookie Derek Stingley. The first interception of his career could not have come at a bigger time. And number two, it's Derek Stingley's first interception halting a Jaguars scoring drive.
1: Lovey Smith wanted the takeaway. Now would be a really good time. James Robinson in the game, trying to tenderize things perhaps. He's in the backfield behind Lawrence, who will take the snap from center on second down and a yard from the seven. Lawrence fakes the give, steps to his right. Lawrence looking, throwing back of the end zone, picked off by Stingley. He brings it out of the end zone, though, and he's down at the one-yard line. Should have taken a knee. Stingley
0: with the pick, the first of his career. So here we are, number one. And is there any question about what number one is going to be? It's arguably the most physical, the best, the longest, the most incredible, the most watched. It's the most everything run we have seen by a Texan running back in I, I don't know how long. It He just kept breaking tackles. And at some point when he threw Tyson Campbell off of him, And Mark is making a call. I screamed in his ears, he's going to score. And I think I was just so shocked. But I shouldn't have been because I've seen Damian Pierce do this. We've all seen him. We saw the highlights at Florida. I watched him. I don't know how many times as a Gator. And I always wondered why the Gators didn't use him. I don't know why. But the Texans are using him. And on this play, I mean, there's just nothing more to say. Damian Pierce, 20-yard ankle-taking, soul-snatching, Houston-defining, tackle-breaking run right here.
1: Second and five from the 22. Pierce again. Over the middle, 20. Breaks a tackle, 15, 10. Gang tackle inside the five. Does he stay on his feet? He does down to the two yard line. What a run by Damian Pierce. Got out of trouble again and again until Cisco brings him down. First and goal, Texans.
0: You could hear Andre pounding the table. In the middle of Mark's call. I mean, you can hear him. He's getting so excited. We're all getting so excited. I'm screaming. He's going to score. We were all feeling it at that point. And Damian Pierce was as well. Two plays later, he scored to give the Texans a 13-6 to win. And my goodness, that was an ultimate 11. That was really, really fun to do. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Now, this week, we don't have a game. So, we'll find some fun things to do on a Texans matchup. But hopefully you like that. Look back. At the Ultimate love play slash moments of the win over Jacksonville. Now, a guy that was instrumental in that, in that run as well for Damian Pierce, was center Scott Quesenberry. How about a little deep slant with Scotty Q next right here at Texas All Access? We got one final segment of this edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host. It's time for a little deep slant. With a guy that has stepped in, he's the third Quisenberry to come to Houston. He's the starting center for the Texans right now. That's Scott Quisenberry. I was the first to meet Scott. I actually interviewed him back at the Senior Bowl when he was coming out of UCLA. And at that time, we had David with us. And loved David, always have loved David. And I just the success he has had in his life, I'm so proud of David Quisenberry. This brother, Scott Quisenberry has done a lot. For this organization, he sat down with D.P. Sitter for another deep slant interview. D.P., take it
5: away.
3: How does year five feel for you so far?
5: Good. Definitely a Mm -hmm. little different. Wasn't what, you know, we kind of anticipated going in. But, you know, we're making it work, and uh, we're getting better every week.
3: Yeah, you did not know that you are going to be the center when you signed here this offseason. So, a lot of things changed. But how much did just playing in the preseason help, even though you weren't with the same starting five that you're with now?
5: Yeah, well, you always plan to be the starter, really. Well, at least that's what I kind of feel. Always prepare like that, and um, when your number's called, just make sure that the, your teammates trust you and believe in you and have that respect for you. And uh, know now, um, building the chemistry with the guys, obviously I played with Titus and AJ quite a bit in the preseason, so I was pretty good. But, um, you know, K missing time with the injury, and then LT missing time in the games because – you know, just protecting him because he's just a stud. And learning, helping them to come along and kind of grow this whole thing hasn't been too challenging. You know, they listen and, you know, they trust my communication skills and they trust me to help them get into the right place and then they just handle the rest.
3: All right, you speak of communication skills. The one thing that I've heard from you from, I think Laramie mentioned it, AJ can mentioned it, that you communicate yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. You're a great communicator, sometimes maybe even an over-communicator.
5: Yeah, well, I mean. Is that
3: a good, I would imagine that's yeah. a good thing in your position.
5: <laughs> no doubt. You'd rather, you know, over-communicate than under-communicate. So um, <laughs> I just, you know, I just do my best to make sure that, you know, we're all on the same page and. If we're all on the same page and it's the wrong page, you can kind of get stuff done that way. You can get away with it a little bit of times, but obviously the objective is to get everybody on the right page all the time.
3: Is so. the over communication maybe because those guys are veterans and they kind of know what's happening and you need to do that for some of the younger guys on the line like say Kenyon? Uh
5: I'm, you know, I don't know. I kind of treat it as if it was the same. You know, if I had the four greatest offensive linemen playing around me, I'd probably still have an overcommunicating. Uh it's just kind of <laughs> in my nature and Um, Like I said, just trying to get everybody on the same page all the time.
3: The one thing I've heard about this system with Pep Hamilton is that there is a lot more communication expected of the center. How does it feel for you? I know you and Pep were together with the Chargers. He had a different role. But coming here to the Texans, is it different from how you've played center in your career prior?
5: Yes. Well, so my first three seasons or two seasons in the NFL, I had the benefit of being with Phillip Rivers, who kind of just handled everything, and then when I was with the Chargers, we drafted Justin, and Justin is a very, you know, he wants to be great and do all that stuff, but it was a lot put on his plate really early, and so with Pep coming in, it kind of transformed, and the center and the quarterback worked way together way more than it ever had in the past, so I knew that coming here that it was going to kind of be the same way with Davis being a young quarterback, still learning, and you know, us putting in the time and being able to take stuff off of his plate
3: yeah as soon as you found out that you were the starter how does that work then you need to immediately start getting more reps with davis do you work extra with him how do you guys get on the same page well um is it already in place
5: as far as like the snap you know the center quarterback exchange there wasn't really any big adjustment there because we had done so much in the in training camp and in the preseason and then as far as just communicating davis trusts me to make the right call at the beginning of the play and if he has to do something within the you know framework of the play you know, we all trust him. So there hasn't really been much of a crazy transition period. It's been pretty smooth, I would say. And, you know, like I said, we're just getting better every week.
3: Are you an over communicator off the field as well? Um,
5: Is this something
3: that you're like off the field?
5: No. Yes. (laughs) Are you the opposite? (laughs) If you ask my wife, I'm not a good communicator. So I guess really? Yeah. So I guess, uh, just when it comes to, you know, my career and my job, (laughs) I guess I am. And, uh, you know, I, I'm working on that at home for sure.
3: She must be really surprised then when she hears all these comments about you being an over-communicator.
5: Well, I don't think so because no. she knows how much time I put in oh, and sure, uh, okay. how important it is to me. So not uh. saying that she's not. But.
3: <laughs> That's really funny. I thought you'd be, you'd be, go home and you'd give like a play-by-play of dinner and like what you're doing now <laughs> and what everyone needs to do next. That's, I really wanted to picture you like that in your No,
5: house. not really.
3: Oh, disappointing. Sorry. All right. So you grow up in LA, you went to UCLA, you mm-hmm. play for the Chargers, then you moved to Texas. What's Texas been like?
5: I for love you? Texas. You the do? food's been awesome. Yeah. The food in Houston's great. The people in Houston are great. You know, I've enjoyed my time here. The weather has definitely been an adjustment. It's definitely hot. But uh It's not
3: California down here. No, not it's yet.
5: not. But it felt nice out there today. So yeah. Um, but for the most part, all in all, two thumbs up for for
3: <laughs> Do thumbs up. well we know your brothers really well mm-hmm. david i covered him when he was a rookie then paul was here last year so it only is fitting that we've got you here and so since we know and, and the fans know the three brothers as well I, I had a few questions just to get to know the three of you better okay. collectively all right okay. first of all you're the youngest right correct the three okay so out of the three of you david paul and yourself included who is the funniest me really Hell are you yeah. just saying that because you're biased no now. It's me. It's you. Sure. Okay, uh, who's the most competitive? Me. Okay. <laughs> I can see which way this is going. All right, who's the mama's boy? Me. Really? Um, is it because you're the youngest?
5: Well, when I was young, me. Not as much me anymore. Who is but it now? I plead the fifth. <laughs> but when I was, when we were younger, it was me for sure. Okay,
3: best all around high school athlete. Me. What what other sports did you play?
5: It's me or David. David was football and lacrosse and then I was football basketball track and field but I mean like if we're really talking about it it's me I did football I did basketball I set the school record in shot put not to my own horn but I did you did I also did the high jump which a lot of people don't know okay I was okay I jumped 510 which is pretty good that's that's great 270 so (laughs) um overall at high school athlete I'm gonna go with me that, I'm,
3: I'm so impressed that you did the high jump. Usually, got offensive linemen, defensive linemen they're like shot put. Yeah, guys.
5: I did do shot put. I set the score cool record. Yeah, got, I, but was you kinda, went yeah I was really just kind of jumping too. Yeah, I was just kind of messing around at practice one day, and then our coach was like, "You know, you could get us points." And I was like, "Okay," so I started doing it. All right, I think
3: you should lobby to be like a receiver or something out there with this vertical. That well, you not anymore. On, but
5: know. you know, before goal line package, I'd be all over it. But not anymore.
3: All right, who is the best cook? Me. What do you make? What's your signature dish?
5: Um, Lovey's
3: coming over for dinner. What are you making? Oh
5: god. I do make a really good like Mediterranean chicken sandwich. Okay. With like so the chicken's marinated and then like bell peppers and then I put the goat cheese in the oven and broil it till it's all golden brown with tomatoes.
3: I love Mediterranean food. Awesome. Me too. Is it's my favorite. But yeah. that's
5: probably my go-to. We're actually having them tonight.
3: Okay. Worst cook.
5: I don't know worse, but I'd say I'll go most basic is Paul. (laughs) Paul eats like rice. He was in the military. He doesn't need a lot. Rice, rice, ground beef, and avocado (laughs) three times a day. Absolutely love it. Love Scott Quesaberry, DP Sidhu, Mark Vandermeer, OJ Howard, Kamu
0: Grugier-Hill, Travis Johnson, all of you. Thank you so much. And we'll see you again, everybody. And as always, go Texans.